0: We'll hear argument next in case 08214, Atlantic Sounding versus Townsend. Mr. McCready.
1: Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, Mr. Townsend is a Jones Act seaman who seeks punitive damages for the willful failure to pay maintenance and cure. Like the unseaworthiness claim in Miles, Mr. Townsend's maintenance and cure claim is a general maritime law cause of action. Mr. Townsend cannot recover punitive damages under his general maritime law cause of action because those damages are unavailable under the Jones Act, FILA, and to a lesser extent DOSA. This court's decision in Miles requires uniformity between the damages that a seaman can recover under general maritime law and the damages that a seaman can recover under the guiding statutes. Those guiding statutes, again, are the Jones Act, the FILA, and the DOSA.
2: Those statutes. Mr. Mr. McCready, in this case, why is it necessary to get into that? whether they're punitive damages under Fela and the Jones Act. If we accept, as I think we must, Townsend's allegations to be true, he has said that Atlantic, as a matter of routine, puts in a boilerplate complaint for declaratory relief, reciting all the reasons why somebody could not get maintenance and cure, even though that is patently false. The allegation, for example, that he deserted his post, he says it's false. He says the allegation that he falsified his application for employment is false. Accepting that to be true at this stage, isn't there some kind of punitive measure to be taken against a litigant, who abuses the court process in that way?
1: First, Justice Ginsburg, those are just allegations. There's no evidence. Yes,
2: but now we're at the pretrial stage, and we're supposed to assume the truth of the allegations in Townsend's complaint. We're we're assuming they may well turn out to be false, but at the threshold under 12b-6, we accept those allegations as true and then determine whether a claim is stated.
1: Well, if, if those allegations are true, uh, there's no distinction between the willful, wanton misconduct that traditionally has been the subject of the dispute about maintenance and cure and punitive damages uh, as opposed to, to those allegations.
2: But let's take this out of the maintenance and cure box altogether. Litigation generally, if a court determines that a litigant is abusing the court's process by filing false pleadings, is there a remedy, and if so, what is it?
1: Yes, Justice Ginsburg, there is a remedy, and that's what Vaughn v. Atkinson provides. In that case, uh, this court looked at uh, abuse of the litigation process and determined that the plaintiff in that case was entitled to attorney's fees.
2: I thought that all that was at stake there was whether the employer wrongfully withheld maintenance and cure that was owing. The allegations made by Counsel go far beyond that they just unreasonably denied him maintenance and cure. They suggest that this litigant, as a matter of practice, standard operating procedure, makes claims before a court. And my question to you is, isn't across the board there a sanction, only apart from the particular claim, for a litigant who abuses the court's processes?
1: I think there's a, there's a number of potential sanctions. I mean, there is Rule 11. Um, there's the natural uh, discretion of the court. Is any of them
3: called punitive damages? Do you know of any case in which a court has?
1: No, I do not.
3: And, and punitive damages, of course, requires that you first find uh, the, uh, the guilty person to lose the case. So what if a person makes these terrible uh, allegations but uh, ends up winning the case anyway? And uh, then well, you couldn't impose punitive damages.
1: I, I agree with We've we got to call
3: it something else, don't
1: we? I agree with your position there. And what I was trying to answer the question is if someone does abuse the litigation process, that is what Vaughn versus Atkinson addressed. And uh, it, it, it awarded attorney's fees, which which are unusual. It is an exception to the American rule. And it is a deterrent For anyone to try to play fast and loose,
2: Um, but do you read
4: Vaughn versus Atkinson as um, necessarily implying that punitive damages would be uh, inappropriate? (coughs) I I, I can't quite find uh, the negative that you want me to. Fine, I think in, in Atkinson. True, they didn't talk about punitive damage. They they said damages are appropriate. And attorney's fees in this case was what the district court gave, we're going to affirm. But there's nothing there that said punitive damages are inappropriate.
1: No, the, the dissent mentioned that, but you cannot speak for the majority opinion. But up until Vaughn versus Atkinson, in the history of the United States, there was never a holding where punitive damages were awarded to a Jones Act seaman for the failure to pay maintenance and cure. It was only after Vaughn versus Atkinson, after the dissent mentioned that concept, that the issue ever arose in the history of Supreme Court precedent, Circuit precedent, in in this country.
3: Whose dissent was that? i had forgotten that. Who's, whose dissent was it?
1: Mr. Uh, go, Stewart. I do, I, I, I do not believe — it's coming, Justice Harlan, but I, I, just, I just cannot say off the top of my head who, who wrote the dissent.
2: But you said never in the history — I mean, there, there are examples, like the, the ancient Nancy case, where the damages, whether well, they were called exemplary, but it, when you say never have the, has there been before or after punitive awards, but there's, there is precedent—the Nancy case in this court, cases in lower courts there have been punitive damages awards in in maintenance and cure cases.
1: Justice Ginsburg, uh, I made the distinction between there is no case in the history of the United States before Vaughn versus Atkinson awarding punitive damages. To a seaman, a Jones Act seaman, for the failure to pay maintenance and cure. The case that you refer to, the amiable Nancy and other cases, they apply to general maritime law with respect to collisions, uh, now with respect to pollution, and that's a broader context. But if we look at the history of general maritime law, if we look at, for example, Calhoun, there's the critical distinction between non seafarers and seafarers. If we look at Latsis, there's a critical distinction between seamen and longshoremen. And those status, they define the, the class of persons that we're looking at to see whether they can recover punitive damages. In this case, involves a Jones Act seaman, And because it, it involves a Jones Act seaman, that's the class of claimant that we're looking at. And when we have a Jones Act semen, the primary statute that we look at is the Jones Act. Of course, the Jones Act incorporates FELA by reference, and the dosa, as miles points out, also has an impact on, on the on the case did
2: this court ever hold that under FELA or under the Jones Act, there are no punitive damages did we, do we have any? Holding to that. No,
1: no, there is no specific holding, and I would point out that if there was, that would answer our question today, and, and we wouldn't be here. But what we do have is miles, which is very clear and specific about what damages are available to a semen, and those damages are compensatory damages. Miles is clear that the semen can be compensated for pecuniary loss the semen can be compensated for his pre-death pain and suffering because punitive damages are not compensatory damages, because punitive damages do not compensate for pecuniary loss, and because punitive damages do not compensate for pre-death pain and suffering, they are not available to a Jones Act semen. Well,
4: but that that was a common law wrongful death action, correct, Miles.
1: Miles? was it was Justice, not
4: Admiralty Maintenance and Cure.
1: Justice Kennedy, Miles was a wrongful death action. Right. But when we look at Miles and we question, well, that is a wrongful death action, it's very clear, should Miles apply in a personal injury action, then we need to, we, we, first we know, we, we look at the, the cases that have addressed that point. And first off, Miles does not say that the uniformity principle applies only to wrongful death actions. Uh, Secondly, Cortez, Supreme Court precedent, tells us that the rules are the same for personal injury and death actions for maintenance and cure under the Jones Act. In Cortez, the opposite argument was made, that the maintenance and cure claim, could proceed for personal injury, but not for a death action. Here, the respondent is making the argument.
3: Excuse me, that, that the maintenance and cure claim could proceed, or that the punitive damages claim could be made.
1: You're absolutely correct. Here, they're making the argument that the punitive damages claim could can proceed under the personal injury side of the case, but not the death side. And Cortez has already addressed that issue.
2: Mr. McCready, there's a, a, a question about this case, a troublesome feature of it. That is, you are saying because there are no punitive damages available under FILA and under the Jones Act, then there certainly should not be any under maintenance and cure. But if we have to answer those questions whether there are punitive damages available under FILA and the Jones Act. In the context of a maintenance and cure claim, then we're deciding a a much larger question than are punitive damages available for willful refusal to pay maintenance and cure. We're deciding a question under the Jones Act, a question under the FILA, and there are a lot of people who would be interested. I'm a seaman sizable group that the law cares about particularly, but but the, the, there would be a large interest, a larger interest in the answer in the Jones Act context and FELA, and to, to decide those questions in a case that doesn't present any claim under FELA or any claim under the Jones Act is troublesome.
1: I certainly agree with you, Justice Ginsburg, that the answer to this case uh, answers the question of what damages are available under the Jones Act and, and FILA. But but again, if you look at Miles, which analyzes both FELA cases, Veerlin, for example, uh, and Kraft, which is a railroad case, uh, it, it, it has already specifically stated what compensatory, that compensatory damages alone are available under the death side, admittedly, and that the compensation for a seaman and therefore for a fila employee is limited to compensation for pecuniary loss and for pre-death pain and suffering also if we look at another string of supreme court precedent it's not as clear as miles but if we look at the the other string it, it this court has stated over and over that Compensatory damages are are what is available under the Jones Act. Compensatory damages are available under the FILA. And compensatory damages are available under DOSHIP. For example, Zeicherman is a post-Miles case, and it's written and states the principles very clearly. Jones Act provides permits, I should say, compensation only for pecuniary losses. And then it discusses Beerlin, which is a FELA case. And it says that the Fila permits compensation only for pecuniary losses. And so again, if we if we look at the history uh, on the death side, which Miles summarizes, but if we look on the personal injury side at the Osceola, the Iroquois, Peterson mentions compensatory damages nine times in, in expressing what remedies are available to seamen, And so those railroad cases, those Jones Act cases, have been decided and have been a part of our precedent for 60, 70, 80 years. And, of course, it is important to note that the Congress has amended the Jones Act in 1982, uh, with no tampering with this history. It has amended the Jones Act in 2006 with no tampering with the history, and it has amended the Jones Act in 2008 in, without any change. And that's in light of Guevara decided in 1995. That's in light of Royale decided in 1995. And 10 years plus for the cases to percolate and for Congress to decide whether they agree with those policy determinations.
4: As I read your reply brief, and please correct me if it's a misimpression, uh, you didn't dispute the fact that punitive damages were available historically for the ship owner's wrongful refusal to provide maintenance and care, or or am I wrong about
1: that? I, I, that must have been uh, the respondent's brief, because our position is, is hopefully was clearer than that, that the uh, punitive damages have never been awarded in the history of the United States for the willful failure to pay maintenance and cure until after until after Vaughn versus Atkinson.
4: And, and what about at English, Admiralty, under the English precedence?
1: The, the English precedents we did not analyze. We took Miles when it analyzes Lord Campbell's act, and, and then that was analyzed in Breerland. And from that point forward, um, Miles took that, that line of cases. Of course, then
4: Miles, again, coming back, was, was um, uh, wrongful death, not making some tear.
1: Miles was a wrongful death case that analyze an unseaworthiness cause of action, which is brought under General Maritime Law. We are looking at maintenance and cure, which is a claim brought under General Maritime Law. Both existed before the Jones Act, unseaworthiness and maintenance and cure, and again, both are General Maritime Law claims.
0: Of course, your friend on the other side distinguishes that argument by noting that death is different. As he puts it, we're all going to die, so
1: and that you have takes different us,
0: considerations under the maintenance and cure.
1: Mr. Chief Justice, that takes us back again to Cortez, which this Court has already decided and analyzed. Should we distinguish between a death action, maintenance and cure action under the Jones Act, from a personal injury action? And the unequivocal answer from this Court is no, that, that you should not treat them differently. There's no logic for treating them differently. We also need to remember that one of the anomalies that was that was that was cured by a meringue, The first anomaly cured by a meringue was an anomaly where the unseaworthiness action would exist uh, in state territorial waters, but not in. I'm sorry. It would. It was exist in state territorial waters, but not on the high seas, and that troubled. The moraine court that you would have a discrepancy between personal injury and death and that's one of the issues that they tried to tried to reconcile it was
2: it was on the high seas they had dosha at the time of moraine there was dosha but it was when you weren't on the high seas that was the gap wasn't that the case
1: that's correct my point is there was a difference of what right you had under In territorial waters under unseaworthiness, that Meringue described as one of the anomalies. And the anomaly was that if the person was injured, they could get an unseaworthiness claim. If they died, they could not. And Meringue was clear that distinguishing between death and personal injury, it made no sense.
2: But that's what the common law was. That's why we had Lord Campbell's Act, because that was if you die or. Too bad if you're you're injured, you could collect. That was fixed by statute on the high seas, dosha. Because there was the gap, there was no Lord Campbell's Act. The court effectively made one up, right? That's what it did in Moraine.
1: M- Moraine did create some law. <laughs> yes. Let me try to answer the question. But in I, I just.
4: The, uh, the, and you can go ahead of that answer to that question I, without my interruption. But my assumption from reading uh, the amicus briefs in this case is that punitive damages were awarded uh, in some maintenance and care cases, A, as simply part of the overall award. They weren't separated out, but it was part of the measure. And B, that some American courts, American judges, uh, including noted admiralty judges, Awarded in some cases punitive damages in maintenance and care before the modern cases, meringue and so forth, that you're, and Miles that you're talking about. Is that incorrect?
1: That, that is incorrect. If if you read the cases cited and they have their roots in some law review articles that are critical of Miles, that that don't like the Miles decision, but if you read those cases...
4: I'm talking pre-Miles.
1: And I'm saying the cases that are cited in those law review articles, the purpose of the articles is to criticize Miles. Those cases do not stand for the proposition that they're presented for in the law review article, and they do not stand for the propositions that they've been presented to this Court. They are not holding, they are not giving an award of punitive damages for maintenance and cure in any of those cases.
5: How many, how many would you say there are in a typical year maintenance and cure cases? About, roughly. I mean, say in the late, the 20th century, uh, 1980, 1990, if you have any guess at all.
1: Justice Breyer, because maintenance and cure is so often linked to the Jones Act and the unseaworthy cause of action, and because of the leverage that can be brought with punitive damages, they are virtually included in every Siemens case right, from so, the get-go.
5: So how many would you get?
1: And, and, and I, I would have to estimate, just extrapolating from my own experience, thousands of Jones Act cases are filed in the country every year.
5: And they usually have maintenance and cure aspect.
1: Necessarily, they You can do. get
5: punitives under the Jones Act or not?
1: You cannot recover punitive damages under what the What about
5: unseaworthiness?
1: You cannot recover punitive damages under unseaworthiness. Because that's the same rule that Miles already decided. Mm-hmm. Miles decided an unseaworthiness.
5: Okay, so if I have about 30 cases, no, I have actually. Be honest, I found we found about 12 uh, in the period around 1980-2000 where they do give some punitive damages.
1: And 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 I hope I was clear mm-hmm. that the can of worms was opened by Vaughn. No one awarded it. No one thought about it till after Vaughn. All right.
5: Then I found about uh, uh, 10 cases in the period before the Jones Act where there was something given, punitive damages being given for something, and there was something sort of like maintenance and cure in there.
1: There, there are some pre-Jones Act cases like the amiable Nancy that that talk about punitive damages, and there are some cases where some seamen have not been treated very well. But a specific look at the cases reveals that there is no pre-Jones Act case awarding punitive Here, There's one called Unica V.U.S. The master should have put the
5: libelant into a hospital, given $1,500. Seems partly punitive. Considering, I mean, one called the Troop. I mean, I found some that is sort of, sort of I don't know what to say. I, I mean, I don't know what to make of it.
1: The troop is, is on the list. It's a case that we have looked at. And, it's, and, again, it's a case that I can say that if you look at all of them, it's a very tedious process. There were a lot of cases, and wading through each one, none of them hold or award punitive damages for the pay-to-pay, maintenance, and cure. And, and even you gave him $4,000, considering all the
5: circumstances of the aggravation, gross neglect, mistreatment. It is deduce to parade more of the sickening details.
1: And our position is that even if there is, and there is not, let me be clear, but even if there was one rogue case, one individual case, that does not create general maritime law. Something more is needed. Uh, For example, a decision from this Court would create general maritime law. Um, the, The... The Wilburn boat case is an insurance case, there's an example where there are some cases on the subject of marine insurance, but there's not enough for the court to to conclude that there is a general maritime law on that subject. And so returning again to this this pocket of cases, they do not stand for the proposition, even if they did, Uh, if you'll notice two of them, it's the same district court judge uh, who is making the noise. Uh, that he would have done this or he might have done this, And, and, and our position is that one District Court judge does not create general maritime law by mentioning the possibility of punitive damages in one case. We're much more comfortable relying on this Court's precedent, the line of cases that builds from Meringue to Higginbotham and culminates in miles were much more comfortable looking at the history of the damages awarded by this Court to semen, where it uses the term compensatory damages, compensation for, over and over and over, without any mention whatsoever of punitive damages. (coughs) The punitive damages problem did not crop up until Vaughn, even though now everyone seems to agree Vaughn did not hold that punitive damages were available. I would also just like to mention all the circuit court cases addressing this issue hold that Jones Act precludes punitive damages and any circuit court that has addressed this issue since Miles likewise specifically holds punitive damages are not available for the willful failure To pay maintenance and cure. I'd like to reserve my remaining time.
0: Thank you, counsel. Mr. Sullivan?
6: Mr. Chief Justice, may it please the court. I would like to start by answering the question that was raised by Justice Ginsburg. This court does not need to reach the question of whether or not punitive damages are available under the Jones Act or under the FELA in order to decide this issue, because maintenance and cure is different. It precedes the Jones Act by centuries, perhaps even a thousand years, and it deals with a distinctly different problem. Maintenance and cure deals with the situation as what do we do with an injured seaman to get him back to health and get him into the workforce. And the law has provided, since Catherine of Aragon went to Greece in the 1200s, that the ship owner has a responsibility in its capacity as a ship owner to provide that seaman with medical care and to provide that seaman with a living allowance so that he can get better and get back into the workforce. Now, in 1920, Senator Jones intended to make the United States Merchant Marine the world's greatest merchant marine. He was dealing in a factual scenario where 12 years earlier, on April 12th of 1912, The Titanic had sunk. 1,900 people had died. Virtually every member of the Senate and Congress knew somebody who was on the Titanic, and during the intervening eight years, certain points of law became obvious. First of all, the people who died on the Titanic could not recover for anything except their lost baggage. They could not recover for the fact that their loved ones had passed away, because there was no cause of action. Secondly, because the Titanic had hit an iceberg and was not unseaworthy, there was no cause of action for negligence. So Senator Jones set around to correct these two anomalies in the law and said, what we're going to do is we're going to create a new class of beneficiaries who are dependents of people who die at sea, and we're going to give them the right to recover pecuniary damages. That's the only place where pecuniary damages are mentioned in the law. And then it said, and as to seamen, we're going to give them an additional right, a cumulative right on top of unseaworthiness, and that's going to be negligence. It never sought out to to touch maintenance and cure. Maintenance and cure has been something that's been monitored by the courts ever since its inception, and it's a self-regulating system. Before Guevara, ship owners regularly provided their employees with medical care without asking the question. If there was a close call, they provided the medical care without running to the court. They provided maintenance. Then came Guevara, and Guevara decided for the first time there were no punitive damages. And now you have a growing problem in this country. You have a problem with ship owners providing less and less medical care without resort to the courts. Now, our position here is that a seaman should not ever have to come before court to seek maintenance and cure. And the Court should never,
4: ever have to award punitive damages. Well, surely there will be some incidents in which the employer, in good faith, thinks that there's no illness, that there's no basis for maintenance and care. And absolutely. For, for you to tell me, that, oh, this will just never happen, I mean, that's, that's not the way the world works.
6: No, and, and Judge, when, a, when an employer comes to the Court in good faith and says there's no entitlement to maintenance secure, and cure, and the Court finds that there, or the finder of fact finds this good faith, there's no basis for punitive damages, then you merely have a dispute.
4: But the situation. Well, of course, there are going to be better. disputes, and the question is whether or not, just from the standpoint of fulfilling professional responsibility, in almost any maintenance and cure action, where the um, counsel for the plaintiff thinks that, and for the seaman thinks uh, that the employer has been remiss, he doesn't add the punitive damages a complaint. If we if we agree with your position, which changes completely the settlement and the bargaining aspect of the case. But you can, address, you can address that.
6: Well, and I agree, Your Honor. That is a po- prospect and a possibility, something which I personally abhor doing. I mean, you should only plead punitive damages when you have a good faith basis for doing it and you believe you will sus- uh, uh, survive a directed verdict. It should not be thrown in to every single complaint. And I'm not denying that some counsel will do that. But what I'm saying is that today, in 2009 and 2006, there are actually ship owners who are, as a regular practice, denying their seamen medical care. I don't know why that is. Perhaps it's because it's expensive now, more expensive than it's ever been. Perhaps it's because there are a safety nets that will allow the seamen to seek Medicaid, and so the taxpayer will pay for it. Whatever the motivations are, it's a growing trend that we're seeing.
2: How many of these um, seamen who seek maintenance and cure are represented? I mean, what is the incidence of representation for maintenance and cure claims as distinguished from uh, Jones Act negligence-type claims? Was it the possibility of large recoveries for pain and suffering?
6: Judge, I'd be picking a number out of the air, but I can give you anecdotal evidence of this. In the Fifth Circuit, attorneys who regularly do maritime personal injury work tell each other. We talk about the fact that you can't afford to represent somebody who's got a maintenance and cure case that's not combined with a Jones Act case. And there are a number of practical reasons for that. You have to pay all the experts. And it's a very expensive to bring these cases. You have to hire the orthopedic surgeons, the the, uh, the radiologists. You have to pay for the tests. And then as an attorney, these are never recoverable as costs. And then you're working on a contingent hourly fee. If you win your case, and you prove that there were willful, wanton, callous, in, in, in denying maintenance and cure, then you might get a portion of your attorney's fees back. Now, you may do that as a pro bono matter on occasion, but you cannot rely upon the fact that attorneys will take these cases.
3: Why, why does uh, uh, joining it to a Jones Act uh, case help?
6: Well, because when you adjoin it to a Jones Act case, you have the substantial possibility of getting either a settlement or a verdict at the end of the case, which is going to compensate the attorneys for taking on the maintenance and cure case as a portion of it. And so, consequently, if somebody has a serious accident, it falls under the Jones Act, and there is a maintenance and cure count, the attorney will handle all those together and feel adequately compensated.
2: The point you're making is that the recovery under the Jones Act can be very large, and the attorney on a contingent basis would get a piece of that exactly your honor because it w- would be swelled by the pain and suffering damages which are not available in maintenance and cure
6: that's correct your honor
0: what yes. is the pre vaughn case that awarded punitive damages awarded punitive damages in a maintenance and cure case
6: judge first of all i would cite to you two cases the Rolfe case, which is a 1924 Ninth Circuit case,
0: at okay, well, I'm, I'm, what, which any case from this
6: court? No, no. Okay. This, this, this issue did not come before this right. court.
2: It hasn't come before this court under or the Jones Act either, the punitive damage question.
6: It has, it has not, Your Honor. Rolf, Ryan, uh, Rolf was not a uh, Rolf was
5: maintenance and cure, and personal injury, and unseaworthiness. So we don't
6: know. Which aspect of the case uh, led to the punitives? We don't, but we know that there was outrage on behalf of the court, and, and unfortunately, in, in — and I think as Justice Souter pointed out, is it out, the case in,
5: that we can't find a single pre-Jones Act case where punitives were awarded uh, and it, what was sought was maintenance and cure? I, I found some, but they seem ambiguous to me.
6: Well, Judge, I, I would say that. But your that, bets. I, Yeah, I would say that the best are the Rolf and the Margarita, which were denials of medical care where the damages were enhanced because of outrageous conduct. But to say, that, Judge, is there a case that says this is maintenance and cure, we're going to award punitive damages, that's not been done. Um, So we have a
5: history all the way back to Catherine of Aragon, and uh, what we've been able to find in these uh, pre-Jones Act cases is really two or three or maybe I found ten, actually, but I couldn't say, Judge. leaning over in your direction, I could take maybe three or four, and there's still a little ambiguity. But I Give them all ten. That's still ten out of hundreds of years of
6: history. Let me, let me respond to that in a couple of ways. First of all, punitive damages are part of the common law until taken away by Congress. And, and, and it could be asserted that maintenance and cure uh, punitive damages were not necessary because the threat was enough. to to require ship owners to go ahead and provide this. And and I would point out to the Court that this has not been a problem prior to Guevara. Ship owners did self-regulate. They didn't — seamen didn't run to the courts every time they wanted maintenance and cure, whereas today they have to. Now, the leading scholar in this whole area is Professor Robertson at the University of Texas who wrote the AAJ brief. And his brief on pages 7 through 11 catalogues the cases where he suggests punitive damages or exemplary damages were awarded for outrageous conduct involving failure to provide medical care. And I would suggest that those show that punitive damages were unexceptional before Vaughan. Uh, They were part of the common law. They, they, They were before this court in the amiable Nancy, even though it didn't involve medical care. There's no reason to assume that if punitive damages are accepted in maritime law as part of the common law, that they weren't also accepted for the willful, wanton, egregious failure to provide a semen uh, with medical care.
4: If I thought that the lack of uh, counsel in maintenance and cure cases uh, was a pivotal point or an relevant point for our decision, uh, other than the representations of counsel, where would I look to verify that?
6: The existence of prior maintenance and cure cases.
4: The, the, uh, that there is a problem in seamen finding attorneys who will take maintenance and care cases.
6: Yeah, Judge. There is not empirical evidence out there. Nobody's done studies. I'm not aware of any. But do we really want to wait to the situation where we have hundreds and hundreds of seamen who are, uh, uh, you know, living homeless or re- living in their cars or unable to obtain medical care before this court decides that if somebody does this, it's something that can be punished? And, and I think that's the situation we're at today. It's a growing problem, and it's a growing problem because Guevara is a relatively new case, and it's spread to the other circuits. Well, if, relatively if new. Well,
0: est- if the existence of the punitive damages and maintenance cure were as well established, why wasn't that mentioned in terms in the Vaughn majority? It only comes up in the Vaughn dissent.
6: Um, well, it does come up in the Vaughn dissent because it was not requested by the lower — in the um, — uh, in the lower courts, and this Court would not consider a claim for punitive damages for the first time on appeal. I, I think what Justice Stewart was saying is we have a question before, our, uh, before us where somebody is requesting attorney's fees in, in derogation of the American rule. The majority is saying that we are going to find an exception to the American rule and give attorney's fees, and Justice Stewart is saying, I don't want to do that. I think the better do way you way think to
3: Stewart knew more about these, these obscure, ancient cases than we do?
6: I'm sorry. Was he more? you familiar?
3: think he knew more about these obscure ancient cases than we do? No, I, I had, think had he had the benefit of, uh, of briefs by Professor uh, Robertson, and uh, uh, I think not. Right? No, it no. Was I just think sort what, of off the top of his head that he thought there should be punitive damages.
6: He was quoting from McCormick on damages and some yeah. basic treatises, and I think he was taking the position that punitive damages are in our quiver of weapons that we can use to deter them. They, they normally are,
3: but the question no. is whether, they're, whether this, uh, this is a different quiver.
6: Well, I, I think that he was saying that this is one of the weapons we have. Instead of creating an exception for the American rule, we ought to just give them punitive damages to account for this egregious conduct. And that,
2: that be- was not argued by anybody. It wasn't raised in the lower court. It wasn't a punitive damages case. No,
6: it wasn't. It wasn't. The first time counsel for Mr. Vaughan raised the question of punitive damages was on remand. And then the district court said, hey, look, you didn't raise it before. Just because Justice Stewart suggested this as as an alternative to attorney's fees doesn't mean we're going to award punitive damages now.
5: With attorney's fees, there's a compensatory aspect. The the, the basic uh, obligation is to keep this seaman alive and well, and then you give him some wages if necessary, and, you know, you give him medical care, and and now he's going to be out that attorney's fees as a result of his sickness. So understand that. Punitives does not compensate him for anything. It's a policy matter for the state. Uh, he's a beneficiary of a windfall. And uh, it seems a more radical step to make something up out of both cloth here with punitives than it does with attorneys.
6: Judge, I would like you to look at how Congress treats this problem. If you had, for example, a bridge building project where a seaman, a longshoreman and a state worker all got injured identically in the same accident side by side, and the ship owner failed to provide medical care for the longshoreman, the ship owner could go to jail. If the ship owner provider failed to provide medical care to the state worker, he could be again subject to criminal penalties. On top of the criminal penalties, Congress has established these administrative agencies to assure that those workers get medical care. On top of that, if they don't get medical care, they lose their defense of workers' compensation immunity. They lose the defense of assumption of risk, contributory negligence, and they are subject to personal liability, not just corporate liability.
5: Maybe it would be a good thing, but the the problem here is it has pros and cons, I was quite moved by the brief of the citation that Professor Robertson made of all those old cases Did we look them up. And then I found they seemed to stand for a little bit less than I had the impression they stood for. That, that uh, and so we'd be making this up out of whole cloth, it seems to me.
6: And I, I don't think so, Your Honor. What I think you'd be saying is this is part of our power as a common law court. And just because we haven't well, had we've to abandoned that
3: miles, because Miles says don't do that. It- exactly. We've abandoned that in this, Harry. We've, we've said that, that uh, what we do with uh, uh, these admiralty uh, causes of action, we should be guided by what Congress has done in the Death on the High Seas Act and in the Jones Act. Well, not. Do, do you acknowledge that uh, there are no punitive damages available in the event of death? Yes. Well, that, 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 now, you, you want to talk about what's a sensible system and what is not a sensible system, you know in the days when massachusetts used to have a uh when i was in law school they they had a compensation limit for wrongful death but there was no limit for 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 pain and suffering for negligence and and you know the line was back back her up again <coughs> back her up again sam she's not quite dead yet i mean is is judge i is, is is this going to be the same thing where where you know the ship owner says well you know if 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 I treat him badly enough that he dies, I don't, I don't get hit with the punitive damages.
6: I, I, I would hope that would not be the case, right no, But, but, but you, it,
3: it, it's invited, isn't it?
6: Uh, well, I don't think it's invited, Judge. There, there are reasons why that there's this anomaly that there are no punitive damages for death. And that's because in 1920, when Congress created the Death on the High Seas Act, there were no any kind of damages. There was, there was no recovery at all. And so Congress preempted this field of death. And it said that death cases shall be decided under the death on the High Seas Act. But Congress has completely stayed away from the area of maintenance and cure. It hasn't enacted administrative remedies because the Court has always been the one who has decided what's appropriate. And this Court, as a matter of its maintaining its Court docket and maintaining these remedies, has the right and, and, I think, the obligation to say, we're going to keep these cases out of the Court by awarding punitive damages when somebody willfully denies this right, when somebody willfully withholds medical care. And I think if you do that, you're going to see these cases are going to disappear. Seamen are going to start getting their medical care again. They're not going to be coming to the court every time uh, they get injured, saying, I haven't gotten my back surgery, I haven't gotten my rotator cuff surgery. And it's a matter of court administration to, to uh, well, I'm not: sure. I'm
0: not sure I follow that. We're in other areas where we allow punitive damages, it hasn't resulted in the cases going away. Quite no. the opposite, it seems it has given rise to a variety of claims um, on both sides.
6: But this is a very narrow area of law, Your Honor. We're talking about are you giving the semen the medical care he needs to get to maximum medical improvement? And that's
0: all no, it is. It's a normal medical malpractice area. has given rise to a lot of puni- punitive damage litigation. I don't know why this would be any different.
6: I think this would be different because all we're talking about is does the semen get the surgery he needs? If he doesn't get the surgery he needs and he gets worse or he continues to stay ill or he continues to stay in pain, then... The, the ship owner should be punished. but well, it, cer- sh-
3: it certainly makes these uh, maintenance and care cases a lot more attractive to the plaintiff's bar, doesn't it? I, I, I mean, you, you, one of your complaints was just not, there's just no money in it. The, the claim is not for that much.
6: The goal here, Judge, is not money. I, I, the goal here, I think...
3: I, of, I, of course it shouldn't be the goal, but we're, we're inquiring into the question of whether granting punitive damages will increase or decrease the number of lawsuits. I, I, I would
6: think it would be astounding if it would decrease the number of lawsuits, I think it would decrease the incidence when when medical care is denied
2: there, there wouldn't be any maintenance and cure claim if the system worked as it was intended that is that if you have a, a sailor who is injured, the ship owner pays room and board and medical expenses
6: that 's all it is your honor just say if if the, if the shipowner will treat the seaman fairly, will follow the doctor's recommendations, get him to a doctor, give him treatment so he gets better. There's, I mean, you're saying there may be more claims for, for punitive damages, but there won't be more rewards of punitive damages because there won't be this willful and wanton, callous disregard of, of the seaman's rights. And so I would suggest that, in fact, that in this narrow area of the law, if you impose punitive damages – Actual punitive conduct, conduct that deserves punishment, will go down, and it will go down rapidly.
3: I, I wish it were as clear-cut as that. I mean, wh- what if the seaman says, you know, I should have had this very expensive treatment, and the, uh, the, the ship owner's uh, medical counsel had said, no, this, this treatment is, is, is not necessary is that is that a punitive damages claim i bet it is
6: i don't think so judge i think those kind of cases should be weeded out on summary judgment by the courts and, by the district court because we're only talking about the willful wanton and callous withholding of Well, he's of going people. to
3: say that was willful and wanton i obviously needed this uh, this the, more expensive treatment he just didn't want to pay the money
6: and, and the court is going to have to, the district courts are going to have to make a judgment as to the bona fides of that case but I think that you're going to find that it's very rare when somebody is going to act callously when the potential on the other side is that they're going to be awarded, have punitive damages awarded against them, and that, therefore, this is going to be a corrective mechanism that's going to do away with the problem we currently have now and make the plight of semen better.
0: Well, I mean, it, whether it gives rise to more litigation or not, it still is significant, and that it will give rise to greater costs on the part of the, the uh, the shipper, which will be passed on, as is the case in a lot of areas where you have punitive damages, Uh they'll be passed on to the consumer.
6: Well, look, if the punitive damages are awarded, but the the hope, of course, is that No, no, no,
0: even if they're not. In other words, you were saying, look, to avoid punitive damages, the ship owner is going to make sure that they're that that more expensive test is provided.
6: It's going to err on the behalf of the seaman. Yeah. Yes, well, in, that in doesn't post-
0: make it, That doesn't mean there are no costs involved in ruling in your favor.
6: That's true, Judge. But here again, we're balancing the interests of somebody who's injured and whose condition may become permanent and incurable by virtue of not getting prompt care, as opposed to the uh, the limited cost to the ship owner of of providing a doctor who's going to determine what the best care is, and, and that's all we're asking for is the best care that medical care can currently provide to get the semen to maximum cure. If there are no further questions.
0: Thank you, Counsel. Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, Mr. McCready, you have three minutes remaining.
1: Justice Ginsburg, I wanted to respond first to a question that you asked that I think there may have been some confusion with respect to the answer. There is pain and suffering Available in a maintenance and cure claim if the failure to pay the maintenance and cure causes injury, causes hurt. That's what we understand from reading the Osceola and the Iroquois as interpreted by Cortez. So I didn't want you to be left with the impression that even if a maintenance and cure claim was brought by itself, if there's some injury, some damage beyond the failure to receive the maintenance and cure, there is a cause of action that could lead to, I think as you put it, the higher uh, award and hence attorneys. Is that
4: a separate cause of action or is it just part of the maintenance and cure act?
1: It's, It's maintenance and cure and it can be brought either under the maintenance and cure with an injury or it can be brought under the Jones Act. You can choose your cause of action, you just don't recover twice.
2: Are you then disputing what your colleague said about lawyers being reluctant to take maintenance and cure claims that are not tied with a Jones Act claim?
1: Justice Ginsburg, we're relying on Supreme Court precedent as opposed to anecdotal information. But to answer your question specifically, That's why I'm explaining that they do have the right to bring a personal injury component to a maintenance and cure claim. And the other point I wanted to make, in the Ninth and the Fifth Circuits, those are the circuits of Guevara and Royale, where punitive damages have been clearly eliminated from a maintenance and cure claim for willful failure to pay since 1995. There's no dearth of cases. Those remain two of the most active circuits in the country, for Siemens cases, and whether they are filing as just maintenance and cure or combining with the Jones Act, the ratio would probably be the same as any other circuit. There was also a, a question uh, about Vaughn and and what the dissent knew or didn't know, and um, in, in in reference to McCormick on damages, I think again it's 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 a small point, but it's interesting to point out that McCormick on damages, the same volume that the dissent referred to, specifically states that punitive damages are not available under FILA, under the FILA. And, of course, the Jones Act incorporates FILA by reference. Really, the Vaughan dissent did not have the benefit of Miles when it reached its decision. If that court had had the benefit, we believe they would have
2: found punitive damages are not available.